Good morning. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's start at verse 3. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you and we praise you for being God. Help us to focus on you, God, to learn of you, God, to be stirred and provoked, God, to show love and, and to do good works, to honor you with our lives, God. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And um, I end up getting an audible pull because I had something completely, totally other prepared. I guess we'll do that next week. It was talking about the relationship between the believer and the law, but it's really been weighing on me for some reason to speak about this, and it's, and it's the idea of assurance, and it's the question I ran across it a couple of times over the last couple of weeks. It's how do I know I'm saved? Like when 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 I'm when I have times of doubt, when I go through times of struggle, like where do I get assurance from? How 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 do I make my soul be at peace to understand that I am a Christian and that God does love me and all those other type of things that we struggle with. So the question is, how do I know I'm saved? Where do I get assurance from? And in some churches and some denominations, this thing of assurance is a big deal. It's like a foundational doctrine, uh, the assurance of your salvation. And in wrestling with it and thinking through it, a little bit, I, I, I noticed something strange. It's really not that heavy throughout the scriptures. You got a couple of books that, that zone in on truly knowing that you believe and truly knowing that you have eternal life. But it's not something that the apostles talk about a whole lot. It's like it's not something that we encourage to look for. Like you need to make sure over and over again that you say it's not a common exhortation. You got it a couple of times. So the question that I end up asking God, like, where does this come from? Why is this concept of assurance and trying to find this thing to establish my soul and to make sure I know that I know, irregardless of what's going on or regardless of what's going on, that I'm a Christian? Why? How does it get to be such a big deal? And I thought about it. And I came to this conclusion that it became such a big deal because our understanding of our relationship to God has been distorted. And what I mean by that is, I said this before, and I don't want people to think I'm going on a crusade or something, and maybe I am. It's for those of us whose salvation was conditioned upon our ability to repeat after a preacher. This creates all kind of confusion. Because we know that we're saved because we had this moment and we were guaranteed of our salvation because of this one specific act. And so everything that comes into our life that goes contrary to that, we have to find an explanation for it because the one thing we cannot doubt is that I've repeated after that preacher and I said that prayer and since I did that it's a guarantee there is no questions about my salvation the only question is is how I'm supposed to live this thing 
But the fact that I'm going to heaven, the fact that I am a Christian, the fact that my faith is eternally sealed is not up for debate. Which creates a whole lot of confusion. And it has been that way all down throughout the history. I was just thinking and reflecting. Like one of my favorite movies. It's like the second best movie ever to be created. Good inspiration. Gets you excited and and stirred up to do something. The Fox version of Luther. Did a great job. Great, great movie. Very inspirational movie. One, Like I said, second best movie ever made. Yeah, it's exactly. very inspirational. But I noticed something in watching it and paying attention to it. Luther did a lot of great things. Luther accomplished something that before his time seemed to be just completely impossible. This dude turned the world upside down. But Luther had some real serious problems. He was an angry man who never got control of his anger. Now God used that fire to turn the world upside down. But Luther used that fire to produce evil that really goes beyond and we still have the impact of it to this day. Because Luther in his anger and in his fire began to be a Jew hater. And spoke vehemently against the Jewish people. To the point where the Nazis used and quoted some of the works of Luther as justification for their stance to, 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 to pull off the Holocaust. It's like, how in the world could this dude be the one we look to as a standard of theological brilliance when well, he couldn't control his own passions? And I thought about something. You have a whole system of people who follow this dude who understand theology based off what it is that he say. And they'll tell you that it's biblical theology. It's Lutheran theology. Because Luther had a problem that he had to be able to explain. Why was he so full of rage? Why was he so full of hate? And why was he such a sinner and still be a great theologian? So when he comes to his theology and his understanding of what it means to be a Christian, he has to find a way to make that fit with his definition of justification, with his definition of righteousness, in some way he got to merge those two because the one thing I cannot doubt is the fact that I'm saved. I know I got anger. I know I got problems. I know I don't see righteousness always coming through me. That's not up for debate. So I have to redefine justification to make it fit with my understanding of my life and my relationship with God. So you got a whole group of people who come through and they have the same doubts that Luther had. And so they go to Luther to get some assurance because he was great and we cannot doubt that. Are y'all tracking with what I'm saying? And you got this whole other camp that gave you promises and guarantees that you save no matter what you do. And you're going to go to heaven and you're going to always be there. You're just going to have a back seat because you can be a drunk, fornicating Christian. That's all right though. You're still going to make it. You're just going to be sad on, on earth until you get to heaven. And then God going to give you a little joy, but you ain't going to shine bright as everybody else. But you're going to make it. That's a lie. You ain't going to make it. A drunk, fornicating Christian is no Christian at all. I'm sorry. And then we got this other group. Got some folks that got real serious. See, in our tradition, 
people that look like us. We call this the old school church. And I thought about it. Me and my daughter were riding up there and the song came on talking about the old time religion and, and thinking back on the way things used to be. I thought about it. Hey, everything she talking about old time, that stuff that's still going on now. Like if you were Red, you're Jezebel. The churches that still teach that. <laughs> this, this is that's the way it is. If you wore jeans, you're going to hell. That's just you know what I'm saying. It's just over with. You better get that blue color, splitting that thing and sew it up and make it a skirt. You don't want no pants. <laughs> you better you better get with it, dog. And that produced a whole other type of idea of salvation. Because you got those mean, super judgmental people who walk in the aisles with their gloves on, making you spit your gum out, frowning down on you and every little thing you do. That if you don't tear for two hours, you ain't saved, you ain't got the Holy Ghost. That's a group of people. And a lot of us come out of some traditions like that. Well, it just, it just tear your whole world up. You be like, man, my shoes got red in them. I might not be saved. <laughs> Golly, why my husband bought me this lip chap with a little color in it? Like, <laughs> I'm finna go to hell. <laughs> and you end up a little tossed and not sure about yourself. Because you understand these traditions and you and they told you, because the Bible do talk about holiness and holiness is a real deal and it's a big deal. But are they are they right? Like, am I unholy? Because, you know, sometimes I turn on the TV. Like it happened. Every now and then I turn it on. Whoa. And we, we stuck in that. And what ended up happening is we pushed that pendulum all the way back to the other side. Because once one of the mean ladies go too mean on us, then we leave that church and we feel bad and we don't want nothing to do with preachers or pastors or anything in the world because they ain't number hypocrites and they talk all that stuff and all they do is talk about you. They just won't talk about you. Ain't nothing ever good enough for them people. And you go all the way the other way. Then you end up with them drunk fornicators who are on their way to heaven. Because <laughs> them other folk can't be right because that ain't love for them to tell me I'm wrong. They wouldn't let me sing in the choir. Why? Because I got a divorce. It's over with. My life is done. Pastor wife told me to sit down because my skirt came one inch above my knee. That's it. I'm done. Cannot minister again a day of my life. Black ball. And so we, we end up stuck and you got these growing movements. Of people that tell you you destined to reign and you and your life is great and you are good and God gonna use you and He gonna pour out everything on you and you are great and you are mighty and you are blessed and all that stuff, but you don't see none of it. You only feel it when you at church. You feel blessed and excited because you get crunk and they got the light. The, the, I'm saying the lights the right way and the praise and worship rock concert going on and you ain't never listened to rock music a day in your life, but now you love it. <laughs> alternative rock <laughs> and now you love it and you're feeling good and you're excited about your life all the way until Monday morning and you wake up and you feel the same and you cool and you try to balance it out 
I'm saying I listen to Steve Furick Sunday morning, then I listen to Steve Harvey Monday morning. <laughs> and that's cool because them other folk were just too mean. And then a crazy thing happened. Y'all met a skinny, fat, and old joker who started talking some crazy stuff and touched that moment of discontentment which you had with church in your heart. And you end up with a whole bunch of weirdos. And you listen to these weirdos and things get a whole lot worse. Because these weirdos sound like both of them. <laughs> you confused. One day this man tell you, you ain't supposed to sin a day in your life. And God called you and you're going to be perfect and you're going to be holy just because you believe. Then you mess up. And the dudes that tell you, it's all right, just repent and get back on. He's like, hold up, man, that ain't what you're supposed to say. <laughs> you're supposed to be mad and upset, just like them other people who talked about all that holiness stuff. Like, well, hold up. And then you start believing this stuff, that I'm supposed to be righteous, and I'm supposed to live all this holy life. And you be riding for a minute, and you get knocked off your skateboard. And you be like... I love the Lord, got the spirit in me. But I don't think I can do all this other stuff that these folk talking about. But it's something different because they ain't like them other folk. But they won't let me be like these other people. So now I'm stuck and I don't know where I am. Am I really saying, do, do the spirit really live in me? Like, what's going on, Jesus? I be good for four days. <laughs> I feel victorious. I want to pray for people and do all that type of stuff. He's scared. Me, right? Walking by folk. Jesus, man. God. <laughs> 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 I'm saying doing all that because I'm excited. I'm stirred up. Then I'll be down and I'll be depressed and feeling bad again because don't none of that stuff seem to work. And all that stuff. Jay told me I'm supposed to pray. I just pray like that. It ain't nothing happening. I still got the headache that he was talking about. See, Jesus don't love me. Anybody, don't raise your hand out loud. Raise your hand in your heart. Anybody don't feel like any of them. Just raise your hand in your heart. Be like, shoot. <laughs> shoot, I'm give up, man. <laughs> I'm done. I ain't going to be no Christian. <laughs> I'm like, forget that. Jesus don't save people. <laughs> Anybody ever thought it? Don't like that. Don't raise your hand out loud if you ever thought like that. I have thought like that before. Like, man... Like, God, you, you still be saved, folks. I mean, like, I don't know if people get saved. And why you say that? Because I don't know if I'm saved. <laughs> so let's wrestle with this a little bit. Now, we're going we're gonna to take a couple of scriptures that, that, that the whole purpose is meant to, 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 to dive your mind in, and it's going to go a whole nother way. Watch this. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 3 says, since, you, since ye seek proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know you not your own self, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. But I trust that you shall know that we are not reprobates. Now, 
This is very common in verse 5, very common passage. But Paul crouches this in between some verses. So what you have going on here is Paul been going in on these people in Corinth. He's been tearing them up. And he done brought them to that point where they ain't quite sure if they say. But their response, they were a little bit deeper than y'all. So what they said was, Paul ain't no apostle. That was that. That was they, they came to the conclusion that Paul wasn't no real apostle. This dude, this dude don't know what he's talking about. He don't know Jesus. And so they would start questioning Paul. Like, what's, what's the sign of your apostleship? Like, how do we know that you really is one of the chosen people of God? Because he was going in on them. It's like Paul telling them, since you seek proof of Christ, speaking in me, which to you or it is not weak, but it's mighty in you. So again, like this, this, this power of Christ that's speaking through me, you want some proof of that. But then Paul, in the midst of answering them, he flipped the whole script and he said, you need to examine yourself. Like, hold up, Paul, we ain't talking about me right now. You didn't talk about me for what, 12 chapters. Not to mention the first 15 in the other level. Now you've been going in. Paul told these people they got stuff going on that ain't never been mentioned amongst the heathen. He told them that they babes and that they carnals. But just after he told them that they Christians and they, the people who got the carnal mind don't have the spirit of God, then he's going to come back and say, y'all carnal. Now that mean he's going to talk about how they turning the, the temple of God into a temple for idols and all that type of worship. He told them that they were greedy, drunkards, who don't need to be taking communion. Paul going in on these people. Told the prophets to shut up, the women to shut up. Paul just, he's just digging in. And he keep going on in, in, in the second chapter. But in the midst of responding to their questions or whether or not you're really apostle, he just throw this in there. You need to examine yourself. Examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. He like one of the mean teachers you had. Anybody ever had one of them teachers? I'm saying when you going and you got questions, they be like, I got mine. Y'all trying to get y'all's. I'm saying. <laughs> Teach, that ain't what we talking about. <laughs> we talking about why we got to write the 12 page essay. That's all we ask you. Oh, I got mine. Y'all, you see? That's what Paul was like. Hold up. Y'all seeking for proof of me being an apostle. And he get to explain and he stop. Examine your own selves. To see whether or not you're in the faith. And we take that and we take that as a, as a encouragement, an exhortation for all of us to examine ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith. He said, no, you're not. That Christ is in you. And what the way he phrased that, it literally means through this examination, you need to come to a firm conclusion. And he said, no, you're not. Reach a conclusion. Convince yourself whether or not Christ is in you. At least you be a reprobate. So it's something through this examination process that Paul said they need to go through that's going to reach them to the conclusion. Either Christ is in me, or I'm a reprobate. Then he told him, but I don't think none of us no reprobate. Now what you saying about us then, Paul? So we, we with this. Everybody understand that. We get this exhortation. We need to examine ourselves. Let's look again. Go to, to other Corinthians. Paul's still fussing. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 21. It says, For in eating, everyone take it before his, the other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise you the church of God and shame them that have not? 
what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also took the cup. And when he supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do you as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord, unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. This is pretty deep. I read on to 32. It said, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Now, Paul, talking about communion. And one, he fussing again because he's getting on them about the way that they eat communion. So they weren't doing it quite right. And so he comes with the idea of telling them how to do it right, getting this whole communion thing together. And in the midst of telling them about getting this whole communion thing together, he told them, now, some of y'all need to be careful before you take this communion. Because, like Paul, see, we need to bring Paul to modern time. He didn't go to seminary. Paul don't have no tact and learn how to comfort people. Because he using scare tactics. See, I know this stuff old. Paul, like, some of y'all sick and some of y'all even dying. Because y'all ain't taking communion right. You don't supposed to say that. You supposed to leave that part. <laughs> but Paul did this. So what is, but the thing is, he told them, before you take this communion, or in your taking of this communion, you need to examine yourself and make sure that you're discerning the Lord's body. So Paul is continuing with this exhortation. Hey, y'all, check yourself out. Try your heart. Examine yourself. And this time, like I said, he, he attached a curse to it. Like some people sick because they ain't doing this. That's, that seemed to be a bit heavy. Like Paul didn't say you destined to reign so you could do whatever you want to. Like examine yourself. Check your heart out. Are y'all with me? This, this, this is a bit heavy. Like why do we keep telling us to check ourselves out? Go to Lamentation. Why is it? Old Testament too. See that what Paul was reading his old Bible. And he was bringing these old ideas into the church. Lamentation. Chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 37. It's hard not to go all the way back, but time. We're going to start right here. All right, this Lamentations 3, 37. Saying, who is he that saith, and it come to pass when the Lord commanded it not? Out of the mouth of the Most High proceed not evil and good. Wherefore, doth a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his own sins. Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts with our hands unto God in the heaven. Now this is Jeremiah getting in on the people. This is in the midst of a, a, a pretty heavy passage is what he talks about. The faithfulness of God. But in talking about the faithfulness of God in the song that Donna McClurkin had all us singing, he's surrounded with all this other stuff about judgment. And then this 
he asks a, a bunch of questions that lead into the condemnation of the peoples. Like, hey, who is it amongst the living? A living man that lift up his voice to complain unto God. So like, what one of y'all that can stay truly in your heart? God did me wrong. That I'm in a position I ain't supposed to be in. Like God in his punishment for sin and stuff, like God, you tripping. You ain't supposed to be doing that. Like who amongst the living that, that can really do that? And so his response, instead of lifting up our voice to complain unto God, he said, let us try our hearts. Test your heart, put your heart to the test, and then let us turn back to God. So in the mind of Jeremiah, what needs to take place for these people who are in judgment, under condemnation, God came and brought a foreign nation in to bring about all the wrath of God that he been promised them ever since Moses. He brought it down on them. They're in pain. They're in, they're in exile. And his response is, God is faithful who won't allow us to be consumed. But this punishment is from God and it's just. So what we need to do is examine our hearts. Try our hearts. Test your heart and turn yourself back to God. But this is a common exhortation throughout the scripture. When things are in doubt or when things are in question, what we need to do is examine ourselves. Check your heart out. Don't be scared to, to dig in and to really look inside of yourself. It's okay to question you. Matter of fact, if you've been living like for any amount of time, you should know that you need to question you. Now, like that should be like the number one thing. Like don't, don't raise your hand out loud. Raise your hand in your heart. How many of y'all? We're going to go way all the way back to give you some excuses. When you was a teenager, ever really poured your heart all the way out and gave yourself over to something because you were thoroughly convinced that this man or this woman was just the it and ain't nobody else on the planet knew what they were talking about. Mama them, granny them, they just trying to rob you and they, 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 just, they just don't understand that you in love. Like I said, don't raise your hand out loud. And then before the school year was out, <laughs> you were crying. And in your room, you hurting, you mad, you upset. So dude, we don't cry, we just get mad. Shoot, I ain't like her anyway. <laughs> I don't know who I am. <laughs> we, most of us have been down that road before. Who convinced you that that was a good idea? You. Because all the folk who knew better were trying to tell you better. But you thought that they were crazy. And you end up wasting all your time, all your money, and, and still hurt when they told you what was going to happen. How you? How, how did they know? Because they were just as crazy as you were before. And so the one person we should question just off, just look up like that, is it should be ourselves. Because we think we know some stuff, but we really don't. So if ever doubt comes in, the first person I should question, like, hold on, do I know what I'm talking about? <laughs> because we messed up. Go to Haggai. Watch this. Go to a couple books. We don't go to that all. Haggai chapter 1, verse 5. We'll start it. says, now, this is God speaking. Now, therefore, thus said the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, 
but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is no warm. He that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus said the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go you up to the mountain and bring wood and build a house and I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, said the Lord. Now, this is God talking in judgment to the people. He couched this warning and, and closed it in. He opens it up. Thus said the Lord, consider your ways. What he's telling the people, think about you in the way that you're living. Think about it. Then he, he runs some stuff off to him. You're working hard, but you're still broke. You're making clothes, but you're still cold. And he said, all these things you're doing, you're earning all these wages, but you're putting them in bags that got holes in them. Basically, it, it, just as fast as it's coming in and going out. And he said, consider your ways, though. And he closes it with consider your ways. And he gives them some positive things to do, like build a house. Go there up unto it, and I will take pleasure in it. But the command that God has given these people is to, to check yourself out. Examine yourself. Think about your life and the way that you're living. Consider your ways. And when we're in those times where, we, where things seem rough and we got these doubts and we got these questions, it's okay for you to question yourself. Don't let nobody tell you that it's a lack of faith, that, that you somehow cutting off your blessings from God if you ask the question of yourself, like, is it real? Like, am, am I true? Like, where do I really stand? There's nothing wrong with that. You're exhorted to do that. It's okay to examine yourself. So the question we're going to try to answer for going forward is how do we do this and stay sane and not have to just kick out parts of the Bible because it don't match up? How do we do this? Go. We're going to start. Go to 2 Corinthians. Let's take this detour. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh in spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh in spirit, perfecting holiness in the Fear of God. Now, I brought this up for a reason. I think this will be easy to understand. It's going to help us going forward, and everything going to make sense if we get this. Now, I got a quick question. Who is it that's supposed to cleanse us? Who's supposed to cleanse us? We can say it out loud. Who's supposed to cleanse us? God, Jesus. He died for all that stuff. He washed us with the sprinkling of the water by the word. You know what I'm saying? He shed his blood to, to cleanse us and purify us from all sin. Now, who did Paul just tell to cleanse you? Look at it. Hold up. Now, how is he telling me to do what God supposed to do? That don't make no sense. I told y'all Paul making up stuff. <laughs> how is he going to tell me to do what God supposed to do? God said, I'm the Lord that cleanses thee and, and so on and so forth. He purifies us. He make us clean. He shed his blood so that we can be clean. And Paul going to come up and say, since we got promises, we need to clean ourselves. And then he messed it up a little bit more because he said, you're supposed to do something. Perfect holiness in the fear of God. Huh? 
Change your ways. Ah, that's a good idea. Could clean yourself, be changed your ways. But if I could change my ways, why do I need to go to God to change me? If I can do it myself, huh? The flesh. He told me to cleanse this flesh. That's what he told me to do. And then he get even deeper and tell me to perfect holiness. Like bring holiness to its full completion in the fear of God. Like you need to make holiness perfect in your life. In the fear of God. Like God the one that's supposed to make me holy. It's the spirit of God in me that makes me holy and all that other type of stuff. Like So how is it that Paul can command something and put on me the thing that God's supposed to do? And I'm going to tell y'all, this ain't unique to Paul. Go to James. Let's just look at it right quick. Drive this home a little bit. James chapter 4. Some of you read a lot of times, but probably never paid attention. Probably even quoted it a lot of times. James chapter 4, verse 8. It says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, hold on, John ain't going to tell us to do that. He said, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Then he followed that up with, cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. How is James going to tell me to do the thing that God's supposed to do? And it's this idea, this concept. If we get it in our mind and carry it all the way through, it make life a whole lot simpler. And actually, I'll be glad. I see why God did And it's going to help us going forward when we talk about our relationship to the law. Now, what you see is a command of God. And we touched on it a little bit last week or the week before last. Anytime God gives us commands, one of the purposes of the law is to show us our sinfulness. God commands to show us our sinfulness. That's one of the purposes of the law. So we have a command here. Purify your heart. Now, if we was to take God's word at his word and actually try to do that, we will reach the great conclusion. I can't do that. <laughs> because I'm going everything that flows out of me comes from where? My heart. And you telling me to take an unclean thing to clean an unclean thing. That don't make no sense. Like you you don't do that. Like so you don't take the mop bucket that you just got all the, the, the chicken juice that fell out the pack on the floor. And you put that mop in there. You're like, well, since I'm mopping, I just go and mop the whole thing. Don't you rinse that thing out and clean it out before you do all that? You don't just take that same mop. It's like, well, I got that up. I might as well just keep on going. You don't spread the salmonella all over the floor. <laughs> Have all type of fungus in your feet. The toe going to be turning color. <laughs> So it's impossible to take a dirty thing to clean a dirty thing. Like that, life don't work like that. But Jane had told me to purify my heart. So if I take these things and let them flow the way that they go, it pushed me to a conclusion that I cannot do the thing that is being commanded of me to do. And anytime you reach to a point where you can't do what's being commanded, what you're supposed to do? 
If it's something that you got to do and you realize you can't do it, what should you do? You ask for help. Anytime you commanded to do something that has to be done and you realize that you cannot do it, your immediate response should be to ask for help. Now, back to where we was. So that's how Paul can command you to do one thing that God's supposed to do. Because anything you do is through the power of God. You are nothing. That is your identity. You know what I'm saying? Like some of y'all get deep. It's like, I don't need to question my faith because I don't want to question my identity. You got an identity. John 15 told you your identity. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. You are no good, good for nothing. Good for nothing, man. That's what you is. And that's all right. Because you got Jesus. Well, I mean, you're good for everything. <laughs> so we got this command to examine ourselves, to check ourselves out. And we understand something about ourselves. How often, don't raise your hand out loud, have you lied to yourself? Just think about it. How, how often have you lied to yourself? You knew something, one what it was, but you lied to yourself and told you that it is that anyway. You convinced yourself of something that you knew wasn't true. Like it's something you weren't supposed to be doing and you knew you weren't supposed to be doing, but you convinced yourself that it's okay for you to do it, even though you knew it wasn't okay. That's what yourself can do. Jeremiah 17, 9 told us our heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? So when we look, turn to this question of examining ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith, of checking out ourselves to see where we stand, the one thing that we cannot turn to is well, to ourselves. Because I can't trust you to be honest about you because you're going to lie. And y'all lie both ways. What I mean by that? You're going to lie to yourself and tell yourself that you are righteous and you full of the Holy Ghost and you saved and you don't do nothing wrong. You're going to lie and tell yourself that. Because you don't want nobody to know that you ain't. And then some of y'all are more sensitive and you're going to lie to yourself and tell yourself that you ain't no good and you ain't never did nothing right there in your life. And you don't even see why people even talk to you because don't nobody like you and ain't nobody ever going to be there for you. Everybody turn their back on you and you just, it's just you and your babies all by yourself and because I don't need nobody else and can't ain't nobody else here with me because ain't nobody ever did nothing for me a day in my life. Huh? <laughs> Whoever said that? <laughs> you go both ways and so that tell me something about you you are not to be trusted and you can't trust you you ain't make it nowhere <laughs> somebody took you to where you are you, you ain't make it nowhere what you talking about ain't nobody else I've been all by myself ain't, ain't nobody ever did nothing for me you lying whoever that is <laughs> So that let me know that in this command to examine ourselves, if we take all the scripture together, that leads me to the conclusion that what I'm not supposed to be doing is depending on me to reach the right conclusion about where I stand. Because I can't do that. So how in the world do we examine ourselves? Let me show you. Give me an example. Go to Psalms 26. And we're going to ride this all the way through. Take it on home. Psalms 26. Psalms 26. We'll start at verse 1. It says, judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord. Therefore, I, sh therefore I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. 
Try my reins in my heart. For thy loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocency, so will I compass thine altar, O Lord, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell all the wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, and whose hand is mischief, and their right hand is full of bribes. As, but as for me, I will walk in my integrity, redeem me, and be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in an even place, and in the congregation will I bless the Lord. Now this is David speaking in here. And he gives us a model of self-examination. But we don't catch it. David cries out to God and what he opens up with is God you judge me. Then he well, he told them things that he thought to be about himself. God I did this and I did this and I did this but you judge me. And he follows it up. Examine me. Try my heart. Know me. Then he run all that other stuff off. This is what I did. This is what I don't like to do. This is what I'm going on. And he ends with a plea of mercy. He listed all that stuff that we look at it. David talking about he was a good, pretty good dude. But he ended, he said, but you redeemed me. Have mercy on me. I will stand in an even place. So in David's mind, this examination comes through a conversation with God. David ain't just standing up there saying, I did this, I did this, I didn't do that, I didn't do this, so I'm good. He having this conversation and he exalting in things that he see, good and beneficial in his life. But he's doing it out of a prayer relationship with God. He's saying, you judge me. You try me. And it ends with a call for mercy. You redeem me and have mercy on me, Lord. And this is the way that we need to go about this examination. So anytime doubt creep into us, we can go to God and be open and be honest with God. Whatever it is that's going on in your life, whatever it is that you think, hold nothing back. Let God have it. So when you have those time of doubts or you feel like I ain't a Christian, you say, God, examine my heart. Make sure that I trust you. Because right now I don't feel like it. Right now I don't see any sign of you being in my life. I don't believe it. I don't trust it. Have mercy on me, God. Don't be scared to just be real and be straight up with God. Whatever it is that push you to that moment, take those things to God and be real with him. And this is something that we need to incorporate in our lives because we can't depend upon ourselves. If you have doubt, that's okay. But don't allow yourself to convince yourself that you are something. Allow the spirit of God to examine you and try your heart and you depend upon God for mercy. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? Go to Psalms 139. We see another example of it. Psalm, oh, I lost my page. Psalm 139, verse 23. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in thy way everlasting. This is, this is David's prayer. Search me. Oh God, and know my thoughts. Oh, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. So he's telling God to test me. You examine me. You go to my heart and you do what it is that you do. It's the Lord that tries the heart of man. God don't look like man. Look, he looks on the inside. He sees our heart. He knows our heart. That's what God does. 
And so anytime we in those positions where we got doubts and we got some things running in our mind that we need some, some assurance of where we stand, we don't go through ourselves. We don't go through our works or any of that stuff. What we go through is God. And we can ask him, try me, test me, examine me and see how he finished it up and lead me in the ways of righteousness. He did the same thing again. You go forward. He talked about all the stuff that he did. He hates sinners. He hates this and that. And he's standing up for righteousness. But he's still in his prayer with God. You lead me in the way of righteousness. As you examine me, as you dig through me, you lead me into the way of righteousness. And this is the way that we need to deal with our doubts. This is the way that we need to deal with our lives, period. We don't trust our conditions. We don't trust what we see in our reputation to put us in the right standing with God because only God can do what it is that we can't do, see through us. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So when we go and we're talking about examining ourselves, when we go and talking about making sure that we are Christians, we need to know and understand that that's God's work. God is the one that examines us. God is the one that tries our heart. God is the judge and he's the one that can let us know where we truly stand with him because it's our relationship with him. Not his relationship with us. He ain't got to prove nothing to us. We need to be right with him. Are y'all tracking with me? Now, we're going to expand this thing a little bit. We go to Isaiah, I mean, not Isaiah, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, let's go verse 13. We'll do all that. Said, but all things are reproved and made manifest by the light. For whatsoever don't make manifest is light. All things are reproved and made manifest by the light. For whatsoever don't make manifest is light. Go to Psalms 36. Alright, Psalms 36 verse 9. Start at verse 8. Said, they shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house. And thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light we shall see light. O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee. And thy righteousness to the upright in heart. So light makes manifest. And everything is reproved by light. And David tells us this little glimpse of things about God. He says with God's light we shall see light. Seems to be somewhat of a perplexing scripture a little bit. With thy light we shall see light. And when we, when we blend these together. He's letting us know something. That God, Jesus Christ, claimed himself to be the light of the world. And it is through the light of God that we can truly see light. We can truly see the things that are made manifest and the things that should be reproved. So light examines, light reveals, it shows stuff for what it really is. See, I'm talking to the men right now, just give you an example. Some people just understand through knowledge. Like men, when, when, you, understand? when you get that shirt, that you, you don't remember. Is it quite clean? Did you wash it? <laughs> when was the last time I wore it? And you check that thing out and you do the man test on it. What you do? Look at it. <laughs> Ain't no stain on it. You smell it. <laughs> smell good. And you're good to go. Now, see, I know none of these brothers have done this, so I'm talking about myself now this time. <laughs> and every now and then, the man test fail you. 
heart failure. Cause soon you step outside, <laughs> you see a little spot <laughs> that somehow did not show up when you examine that thing in the house. It's like the rays of the sun reveal stuff to you that that little fluorescent thing up in your light bulb didn't do. She's like, when last time I ate mustard? <laughs> It's something about the the revelation of light that allows you to see things. And the brighter the light, the clearer the vision. When it's shining on something, it it can clearly be seen. And what we understand is that light reproves. It makes manifest. It shows what is there clearly. And Christ and God is the light of the world. And it is through his light that we can see light. So when we're talking about examining the deep and dark issues of our heart, we ain't got enough light to do that. But God, the pure and radiant one, he has the ability to to examine deep down and see all them dark crevices that's inside of you. So when we go to him for examination, we're going to him knowing that through his light, we shall see light. We depend on him to truly reveal what it is in me that is not like him, what it is in me that's causing these doubts, what it is in me, whether or not I'm good, whether or not I'm, I'm straight, whether or not I need to go and repent in sackcloth and ashes. God can make me know that. And so we don't look to ourselves. We don't look to our works. We don't look to to that one moment, that time when we stood in front of the pastor to give us assurance. We look to God. And we allow him to thoroughly examine us. And we don't be scared of it. We let him shine his light on us. Because the worst thing that can happen, watch this now, this is the worst thing that can happen. God examine you. And it all said and done, he can say, hey, you've been faking. You ain't saved. But if you repent, I'll save you for real. <laughs> That's the worst thing that can happen. If you take it to God and you find out that, hey, I, I, I ain't never really gave my whole heart to Jesus. And he might say, you're right. You ain't never gave me your whole heart. You were still scared. You you still was trusting in all these other things. You thought you were going to do this and I was going to take this away from you. I was never going to allow you to do this. So you had that reservation in me. You didn't truly trust me with your whole life. And so since you didn't truly trust me with your whole life, I didn't truly give you my whole life. So you've been walking on tradition and and, and Crunkness and hopeness. That's why you keep going for a little while and you fall. Because the power of man get tired. And you running off man energy. And you doing good running off man energy. But you still running to hell. That's the worst that can happen. And he can say, but if you come to me, I'll make you right. And all you got to do is just give up. You see, you 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 talking all that junk about you don't think you saved and you finna give up and you finna quit church and you ain't gonna call nobody, nobody better call you for you block Jay number out your phone, call him, I'm getting tired of him. Every time I go do dumb, he just seems like he called. And you gonna do all that anyway. So God say, Amen. Do all that. Give up, quit, stop. Just stop trying to be a Christian. And let me make you one. That's the worst thing that can happen if you allow God to examine you. If you take your doubts, if you take your questions to him, that's the worst thing that can happen. And for some of y'all, he might just say, you're good. Keep pushing. You just need to get a little more bold. That's all right. 
That's it. Because the God that we got, that we have, delights in showing mercy. He get crunked off that. But mercy ain't just, I don't see nothing. I'm saying that, that ain't mercy. For you to be driving in the ditch and God said, no, they're going good. He's going the right way. <laughs> oh, no, uh-uh. God ain't gonna do that. That ain't mercy. He might stomp the car, knock the transmission out that thing. <laughs> and you're gonna bump your head, fly through the windshield, but he'll catch you. Now you gotta cut for a testimony. Shoot, I thought I was saved. <laughs> God had to stop me. <laughs> That's the worst thing that can happen to you. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? Make sure you got it. So when we read these scriptures and we get these time of doubt, what we do? Do we hide when we, when we troll? Do we shrink back and just allow depression and anxiety and all that stuff to build in our heart? No, that ain't what you do. Do you convince yourself that you save and everything all right and you just going through a bad moment now? No, that ain't what you do. What you do is you be honest and you take all the honesty to God. Even if you think, now you might be wrong and God might respond with a little rebuke, but you can say, watch this. You can go to God and you can be like, God, the life you gave me, it ain't fair. I really think you messed up. And you did me low down. And I've been trying to live for you, but it don't seem like you're trying to live with me. You can say that. God is mature enough to hear it. You can have a real, I'm, I'm telling you, you can say that. Like that time that granny died. That was not fair. All them people talking and promising you and folks were telling me that it was going to be all right. God, it ain't all right. It's been 20 years and I'm still ain't all right. You can say that. And God won't say, <laughs> you won't hurt his feelings. He, he won't be ashamed. And he won't get mad like your mama and slapped you. <laughs> and say, don't you ever talk to me like that. He won't do that. Now, you might not like how he responds. But you might need how he responds. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? You read the story of Job. When God came and he spoke. Not one point in time in all them chapters that God was speaking. Did he say, Job. What's wrong with you for asking me all these questions? He never said that. He never got on him saying, now you know better than to question me. I am the God Almighty. Don't nobody talk back to me. You better just take whatever I give you and be happy with it. That don't show up in them chapter where God was speaking. Now, did he respond quite nicely and accommodating to Job? No. He told him to stand up, gird your lawns like a man. And he asked Job some tough questions that the only answer was would no. But it ended with Job saying, now I've seen the Lord for myself. Folks told me about him. Now I know. And it brought an assurance to Job that he didn't have. We Upright man, righteous man and all that day, but he got a revelation of God through that time of trial and through that time of testing because he was willing to answer God and be straight up and bring all his accusations to God. He was sometimes, I'm righteous. I don't deserve this. He can say it. That's all right. God is not going to be offended. 
But that's the way you deal with your doubts. That's the way you deal with all the foolishness that go on in your heart and your mind. You be real with God and you take it to him and allow him to do his job. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? Who job is it to make sure that you know that you're a Christian? Who, who, who job is that? Go to Romans chapter 8. Just, just give you a little something for your soul. Romans chapter 8. We'll, pause, we'll stop right here. Romans chapter 8. As soon as I can find Romans. There go. Alright, Romans chapter 8, verse 14. says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Now, this is talking about us having the spirit of God. And this is how we become the children of God. But he said the spirit itself does what? It bears witness with our spirit. So it is the job of the Holy Spirit in you to testify to you that you are a child of God. Say that again. It is the job of the Holy Spirit in you to testify to you that you are a child of God. Nobody else's job. So let's just say, give a theoretical example. You you in one of your time of doubts and you in one of your time of hardship. And you come to the apostle. And you go, Jay, man, life really been been rough on me, you know what I'm saying? Lately, I, don't, I ain't even sure if I am saved, if I am a Christian. Like, I ain't really done nothing just crazy, but I, I'm, I'm just not sure. I don't know. Now. If the apostle turns to tell you, you are saved. And, and you just need to know it. Because you got the spirit. If you do that, leave. <laughs> leave immediately. Because the one thing he cannot do is testify to you that you are a Christian. He can tell you what he believes. He can tell you what you, he think, but that ain't his job. His job is to provoke you, to push you, and to prepare you to worship the almighty God. He can give you some wisdom. He can give you some guidance. He can give you some comfort in these hard times. But one thing he cannot do is convince you that you are Christian. If he get to work and trying to convince you that you are saved, leave. Because it is the job of the Holy Spirit to convince you that you are saved. He the one that testifies to your spirit that you are a Christian. If anybody else try to make you think that you're a Christian, leave. And we need to take this and use this with our children. It's not our job to convince our children that they are Christian and that they are saved. That ain't our job. It's the Holy Spirit's job to give them understanding and conviction that they are who they are. That's his job to testify and to let them know that they're children of God. It ain't, that ain't our role. Because what I told you about us, we have the tendency to be wrong. And if I convince somebody there's something that they're not, I'd have messed their whole life up. So I push you, I prepare you 
And even if the apostle have a weak moment, he come like, man, I ain't, I don't know, man. It's been a rough one. I will never tell him, man, you must be crazy. You must don't know all that you've done for the Lord. How many, how many you people you done helped and all that stuff? No, I'm going to tell him, well, you need to get that right. <laughs> I'm saying, okay, you need to handle that. Because <laughs> it ain't my job. And no matter how many signs you give me, it'll never be my job. Because who's going to convince you and testify to you that you are the Spirit, that you are a child of God? The Holy Spirit. That's what He do. So if you got questions whether or not He in you, you can ask, hey, Holy Spirit, you in now? <laughs> I mean, like, really, you know what I'm saying? You, you, you in now? You, you, you doing your thing? And in His job, He's supposed to give you a testimony that He in now. Because He's the Spirit of promise. He's the one that sealed you. He's the down payment, though, all the goodness that God has for you. He's the, he the one that testified to the reality that eternal life and hope is coming. If he can't do his job, you ain't got no reason to believe that one day you're going to be saved and be with God and you're going to enter into an eternal kingdom and all that type of stuff. Because God put all his promises on the fact that this one Holy Spirit is going to come live inside of you as a sign and a testimony to everything that's supposed to come out. So if he can't do this good, he can't do none of that stuff good. You ain't got no reason to trust him. Are y'all understand what I'm saying? The man who broke your car trying to put an alternator in, don't let him work on your transmission. <laughs> I don't care what he told you. If he broke it, trying to put an alternator on. Do not let him work on your transmission. Because you ain't got no reason to believe that he can do the big job or he can do the little bit of thing. And it worked the same with God. If he can't put the spirit inside of you and let you know that you are a child of God and give you the grace to cry out, Abba, Father, don't trust him to, to give you a brand new body and create a whole new world and to bring you to an eternal kingdom because you don't deserve to go there. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So when we got times of doubts, what we do? We go to God. And it's okay. We need to make it a practice of life to examine ourselves, but we don't depend on ourselves to do it. We don't look back to a moment. We don't look forward to a future. We look up to God and allow him to do his job, which is assuring us and we let his light shine in our hearts to show and reveal what is the true statement of God. And another light that we got is what? It's the word. That word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And we let that light shine. We don't try to change it. If I read it and it doesn't say I ain't what I'm supposed to be, I go to God and do that same thing. Y'all with me? Anybody got any questions? Two questions. Okay. Um, the first one is the way I grow up is about communion is you learn something before you take communion mm -hmm. and do I have to I mean I've been taking communion but I don't know if I do I'm doing wrong and the other one is in Ethiopia children doesn't take communion because they're too young they have to be at least 15 years old to take and what is that I mean is it okay to take for them, or is it, I don't know. I, I think I got your question, and make sure I got the question. So the second question is, it, basically, is it okay for children to take communion? Yeah. Do, they, do they understand the meaning, or are they just taking it because it tastes good? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the, the answer to that is, one, you're digging into, I got a couple different traditions converging. 
Uh, scripture itself, it doesn't give an age range on when and how you take communion. Now, it don't say if you're this age, you take communion. So what has happened is, because communion is a it's something for believers, a sign of fellowship that we have with God. It's a sign of union for us as the people of God with the work of God and his works in us. So we take it as a sign of our covenant relationship with God. And so since you have that, what you have is a couple of different traditions. And what they say is children can't have a covenant relationship with God. So to make sure that these children are not taking it unworthily, we don't let them take it at all. And so we, we chop it off because they can't have now. And you got other traditions that say my child is a child of the covenant because he's my child. And so he has the right to take communion just because he's my child. And so they take in the meal. But scripturally, neither one of those positions are upheld. What we know is that communion is a response to the work of God. And it's a remembrance that we give in fellowship with God. And it should be done with severity and it should be done with seriousness and contemplation. I cannot openly say that no child ever on the planet can do that. No. We just can't. I can't tell you what these children can do. These children are a whole lot smarter than what we give them credit for. And God is a real God who can work in the real lives of real people. And children are people. And so we, we teach them as best we can on what it is, what it means, and how it is that they're supposed to go into it. And we grow and allow them to make decisions in that. If that makes sense to you. Now, when it comes to communion, you do well to want to learn and understand before you participate because it's a serious thing. And all we have in communion it's a couple of scriptures that shows us the example of what it come from and what it means. You understand what I'm saying? So by partaking communion, you're testifying that I believe and accept the work of Christ. I'm in fellowship with his death and his resurrection. And I'm in fellowship with the saints and the people of God. And we anticipate the day of his return. That's what you're saying when you're taking communion. So that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians tells us to examine ourselves. So to make sure that we're not being rash about it to make sure that we're being sincere in it and to make sure that we're being respectful and including everybody that's a part of the of the family into the communion meal you understand what i'm saying especially in early times it was a meal it wasn't just no little wafer thing with a little cup of juice that you have to sit there and tell because i ain't got no nails and i can't get that thing open and so they almost done by the time i get my crack out <laughs> but it was a meal that everybody partook in and that blessing and that communion came from that fellowship. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, so it's all right. Learn as much as you can. Hey, man, I'm be trying to take my job. So, and Old Testament, like when, um, in terms of feasts, like of the unleavened bread and all mm-hmm. that stuff, and especially after the Exodus, like God commanded that everybody in the household take part of those fellowships as long as you weren't like a purchase if you mm-hmm. weren't purchase help you had to be circumcised you basically had to be under the family unit yeah. of does that still apply to communion i mean because i would think that's a foreshadowing 
Yeah, and, and, and that's why you have a lot of traditions that go the way that they go. And that's why we get pedo baptism and all that other stuff. Because to them, that's a sign of a covenant relationship. And so the idea is that as long as my children are in my house, they're blessed through me because I'm a covenant member of the family. And that's part of where they glean that from is the Israelite traditions of circumcision and being able to partake in the meals. And the Bible is not as rigid in the New Testament on that. We really don't have any clear-cut examples of how to deal with children and household members when it comes to communion, if you understand what I'm saying. So I take it always as a, we study it and we understand as much of it as we can and we don't dogmatically attach too too much meaning Mm -hmm. beyond what we have there. So you could take it as, I'm training my children of this is how we fellowship with God, this is part of being the household of God, and this is what we do, and raising them up in it. If you do that, I can't say that you're wrong. If you withhold and say that once they can make their own confession and testify that they're part of the family and truly examine their heart and truly discern the Lord's body and do it, I can't say that you're wrong. Because all of those things are aspect of it. Now, what I can say, if I see in my children unrepented wickedness I need to be had a conversation with my kids and let them know that hey you can't be a child of the family if you're living and acting like this and you got to have those real conversations so you don't raise them up and saying that you see you in this house you're part of my family you got to take communion and convince them that they're saved but if you see testimony to them you can cut them off and let them know because that's a part of the training too that, hey, we take fellowship because we're a part of the family of God. And you can't be a part of the family of God if you're living and acting like this. So you cut off from the fellowship. You understand what I'm saying? Because you got to hold true to the, the revelation that we do have. If that makes sense to you. Yeah. Go ahead. So are we like, oh, um, corporately supposed to take communion? Or do you do a one-on-one? Does it matter? Can you do it every day? Like, what is what is prescribed? Or is there no prescription? There's no clear-cut prescription. Now, what we see modeled throughout the scripture, the couple times that it comes up, it's a part of feast and it's a part of fellowship. So the first communion was a part of the quote-unquote last supper. That was the first communion came from. And if we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it was a part of a feasting. That's why he was getting on them. Like some of y'all coming drunk, some of y'all eating all the food before other folks get there, <laughs> and that's the type of stuff that he was correcting in them. But we learn from that and we glean from that that it was a feasting thing and something that they did as a fellowship and as family. We don't see any examples of anybody taking communion by themselves, which would make sense because it's a fellowship meal and we're part of a body and a family when we do so. Even down, I'm trying to think, that throughout the early church and church history, I don't see any signs of individual communion even being spoken of. I think that's a latter-day thing. I have to look into that. But each time we see it throughout tradition, especially in the early tradition, it's a part of a fellowship meal that the people partook in, and that was a part of it. So it's, and like I said, the prescription we had is do it as often as you come together. So some people take that to mean Every time we come together, some people think that to mean as often as we decide to do it.
we ain't wrestled it all the way out because we'll wait till we teach on it to really get with it and we're going to decide what the, the way to run, wrestle with it. Or whatever the apostle tell me to do, I'll do that. <laughs> so we talk about judging our ourselves or asking God to help us examine ourselves. Um, what about the passage that talks about judging others? Oh, man, you're getting, good. You're getting deep. I was going to touch that. You, you, you get you get deep. <laughs> I mean, specifically the one where he, I think he, it was the apostles, or whatever group of people it was, he sent out and said, "If you if you forgive their sins, they're forgiven. Uh huh. And if you don't, they're not." Yeah, you get deep. And you got a couple of different things, and we're gonna dig deeper into this when we talk about what is the church. Probably in April. No, before then, I don't know. But when we talk about what is the church, you got a couple of different examples of what we're going on. One you got within the body, we have corporate judgment. You got talking about with the second Corinthians five. We're talking about we don't judge those who are without. We judge those who are within. So you got a standard of where us in the body has a responsibility to hold a standard of righteous living within the body. And we have the right to rebuke, to call out one another. And we see it over and over again. Even in Philippians, he talks about that you mark those who walk in this way. Like you, you, you make it known who these people are that walk in the way. He was talking about walking in the way of perfection. Like the people who walk like this, you mark them. So that takes a level of judgment. So we have a responsibility within the family, within the household, to hold people to a standard and to execute that. Everybody in here has the right to say to everybody in here, long as you know truly and justly that what you did wasn't right. We all, because we all are a member of the household of God. So we have, all have the right to question each other, to, to, to hold up this standard, long as our motives is to hold a standard and to love and exhort one another to love and good works. And now within that, we see that the Bible gives us some authority within the church. And so when it comes to those whose sins you remit, they shall be remitted. And those whose sins you hold, they shall be held. We have to put that into connection with all of the scripture. And you take, like Corinthians is one of the best ones that do it. It shows us that in this standard we have authority and that in this fellowship there is some levels of responsibility. So if you come and you see me, like, hey, I saw you with that young lady over there on the thing. Like, like what was going on with that? Now, he's saying it to me. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and it comes out that I was foul and I was doing something I wasn't supposed to do. You got the right to check me on. I don't hear your check and your rebuke. You got the right to, to come and bring it before the brethren. Like, hey, man, this did this, this what the, uh, the, the dude, he doing. And, and it ain't right. And if I go obstinate in my foolishness, y'all got the right to say, hey, no, nah, brother, you ain't a part of us. That's over with. You going to find yourself something to do. Sit down and learn and maybe we teach you something. Y'all have the right to to to, to do that. If I turn and I repent, as a family, you can say that, hey, you good. 
We love you. We embrace you. And it's a part of Let's keep kicking and let's grow. You can do that as a family. If we're living right under the authority of God, with the standards of God, God honors and God respects that because we do it as the standard of God. You get what I'm saying? That means no one of us had a, a complete and total authority to just go around and saying, hey, you good. You ain't got to worry about that. I forgive you. Bless you. Going on about your merry way. No, we ain't got to do that. But we have the right to examine one another and to hold one another to a standard. And if the brother come repenting, we can restore them back to fellowship and be back to the household of God. And God takes honor in that. And God, because we are the body of Christ here on earth. We, as in the people of God. Not one little bald head dude in Rome somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. I ain't seen him in a while. <laughs> so when it comes to taking communion, is the unworthy manner like taking it when you just want being greedy? Or is it like if you're a sinner? If you if we track the patches, read, go home, read it through. But if you pay attention to it, it comes from that wickedness that they displayed, the greediness, drunkenness, and all that foolishness. Then he begins to teach about communion, and he follows it up with the idea of examining yourself. Because for some of you taking the Lord's body, not discerning the Lord's body, and you're doing it unworthily. So you got this idea of the way they were doing it, and you got this personal aspect of when he says not discerning the Lord's body. So it was something that they were doing that was not respectful to the Lord and his body. And I believe it means the Lord himself and his church that caused them to be unworthy. So you wrestle with it. Then when we talk about communion, I'll tell you what I think. And you can see if my answer match up with you. <laughs> and for judging when okay let's say I got a beam in my eye but I see like people in the body that are jacked up mm -hmm. should I get that beam off well I mean yes I should do that because yeah, he said do to do that, that. <laughs> <laughs> but what if I don't get the beam out Never mind. It's just I should just get the beam out. Yeah. Never mind. I don't have a question okay. no more. You don't have the question. <laughs> yeah. But it's a good question. Because you can leave that beam in your eye and still go and judge your brother. Because in Matthew 7, he's not saying you can't do that. But what he says is the same standards you use going to be used back to you. So when you see that little speck in your brother's eye and you hold a standard, he's going to hold you to that same standard. So you fine. You can go get it out with your beam. You, you're all right. He didn't, he's not saying you can't do that. <laughs> you got the right to do that. But he's not going to use the same standard to you. Um, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but when looking at ourselves mm -hmm. to clean ourselves, doesn't um, fasting help with that also? Or couldn't fasting help along with that? When you're trying to clean yourself up also from the inside? It depends on what you mean by that. That when we're trying to clean ourselves up, that's an impossibility. So that the only way we can clean ourselves is to go to God and get clean. 
Now, what fasting does in that, it's a form of discipline in cutting yourself off from the desires of the flesh and training you not to walk into the desires of the flesh. So there's discipline that there that helps you, especially when done right. Most of us don't do it right because we don't take that time and pray. So that propels us into the presence of God. So if you're thinking just by cutting off food, I'm going to get better. No, you're tricking yourself. But if you truly discipline yourself and devoting yourself to God that I ain't even eating, I'm just giving all my time to you. Yes, and it's because you're with God. And I would take this time to give a shameless plug. So you can talk to a brother who wrote a whole book about fasting. And he can explain all the details to you. Because Justin wrote a whole book about it. <laughs> but if you're just thinking just by cutting off food, you're getting better now. But if you're truly disciplining yourselves and devoting your heart towards God, that's where the fruit comes in. And Justin can give you greater detail. Um, what does exalting mean? You say exalting? Exalting is lifting something up. So you're praising them and just telling them how great and grand they are. What is a prophet? A prophet is somebody that speaks for God, declares the words of God. What is compromising? Compromising, when you know something's supposed to be one way, but you let down a little bit and give in to people. So it's like if your brother trying to take your toy, but you you want both of them, you compromise if you say, well, you can use it for an hour, and then I come back and get it. What if you're deaf and blind? How do you know about God? If you're deaf and you're blind, how do you know about God? A couple of different ways. God going to make it known to you. He sent somebody to heal you of your deafness and your blindness, then preach the gospel to you. God has the ability to get his truth to everybody. If you get an extra donut at a birthday party, are you being greedy? Examine your own heart and see whether or not you're being greedy. <laughs> Any others? You got one? Okay. I thought so, yeah. I don't know how relevant this is. Um, when I was in like high school, I went to a Bethel affiliated church, and there was this common sentiment that if there was a person that was actively, absolutely like, you're definitely not saved, but then someone who like prophesied a lot and hadn't been wrong prophesied that they one day would be, they treated it like their salvation was guaranteed and I never felt like that was like a safe thing to do but I never knew enough to be like you know it's just been a weird question back in my head we see no sign of that anywhere in any scripture Okay. you got Jeremiah he told the people that God was going to restore them and God was going to bring them back but you know what most of his stuff prophecy is about turn, repent, that you're a backslider and all that type of stuff. You even got Isaiah. He goes a pretty decent piece of future and what was going to happen to them and the blessing and how their light was going to shine and they're going to see the glory of God and all that. But he opens up and calls them blind sinners, tell them that they cut off from God and God don't hear their prayers and all that type of stuff. 
Even Paul talking to the children of Israel in the book of Romans. He tells you that, hey, they were cut off. But the people of God, all Israel shall be saved. But then he tells them about their sin and their wickedness and how them being a Jew don't mean nothing because all are under sinners. I mean, all are under condemnation. Yeah, so I ain't seen that nowhere. Every prophet that I know that talks about salvation and life treats sin like a real big deal. As a disclaimer to the church, that was mostly the teenagers. I can believe that. So, any Bethel. (laughs) 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 Any other? I may have missed it, but you know, when you were um, talking about the scriptures that tell us to cleanse ourselves, um, did you say what that meant? Like how, because Obviously, we can't clean ourselves. So what did he mean by that when he's telling us okay, to clean yeah, ourselves? You stepped out. He means exactly what he says. But any law or any command shows us our weakness and is supposed to drive us to the cross, into Christ. So when you see a command to clean yourself and you realize you can't keep yourself clean or get yourself clean, that, that forces you or prepares you to go to somewhere for help. And so all the commands of God are provided by God. He gives us the grace to do everything he commands us to do. So there's a, I'm going to use a blasphemous word in the theological world. There's a synergistic element when we're talking about it. So you cleaning yourself and you depending on God to clean you with one and the same thing. So the way you clean yourself is to go to the source that brings the cleaning. But that command pushes you towards that source. And we got to keep that in mind that the laws of God shows us our flaws, it shows us our weakness, and it's for the unrighteous to show us where we stand. One question, uh, I guess one verse that came up when you were discussing that was the um, in Revelations where it talks about Jesus came and gave the bride everything that she needs to get clothed, and that one day he's going to return looking for her to be ready, essentially. Is that at all connected to that? Was that- uh, yeah, in a way. the idea of clothing and just a plug and a preparation for when we walk through the Bible the idea of being clothed or clothing is a major theme throughout scripture that really don't get the respect that it's supposed to just a hint we're going to go deeper in this when we walk through Genesis chapter 3 after the people sin most theologians going to tell you that God came And the first thing he did was made a sacrifice. And they pick up on the theme of sacrifice and try to show you the importance of sacrifice. But really, Genesis doesn't talk about a sacrifice. What it talks about was God providing a clothing for their nakedness. And that theme of being clothed and that theme of clothing tracks all the way throughout the scripture. It starts in Genesis and it ends in Revelation. So this idea of clothing is God covering our sin and our nakedness and giving us righteousness What Revelation tells us this robe or this clothing is the righteousness of the saints. So that's a theme that goes all the way through. And it's us. And he said they kept their clothes clean. So God clothes us. He covers us. And it's on us to keep them clean. But how do we keep them clean? It's through his blood that cleanses us and purifies us and sanctifies us. But that's a theme. We're going to pick up the theme and just show you how it grows throughout scripture. Any others? That's it. They're all yours.